word. We pray that you would shower all those who lack this freedom today in various places around the world. We pray that they might know your grace, mercy and love. We ask for ourselves uh, the same grace, the same mercy and love so that we'll be empowered to hear, obey and remember what you say to us in your word. We come expecting to hear from you and we come in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So this message that uh, I'm bringing to you today is part of a series that I started um, some years ago. Um, I actually had to look up the records to figure out where I was up to. But some of you might remember the last time I preached on James. Uh, we were doing a series, I was doing a series on studies of commands in the book of James. And so we've already covered commands 1 through to 5. So today we're up to commands 6, 7 and 8. But just to see what your memory's like, maybe you remember, I've got a little examination for you. You might remember that last time I spoke, which was yonks ago, if you understand what yonks means, um, I shared with you a Bible study method where you ask a question in order to understand the text. And uh, there's a, an abbreviation or a symbol for each of these uh, questions that you ask. What does the letter C stand for? Anybody remember? Well, there you go. It means, is there a command I need to obey? Then the letter P, what it stands for? Is there a promise I can believe and apply to my life? And then S2C, it's a bit complicated, isn't it? That's where you ask the question, is there a sin I need to confess? As you're reading through the text. What does the letter R stand for? It's something I need to repent of. Is there something I need to repent of? What does the letter W stand for? Is there teaching about wisdom that I can learn from? Is the question we can ask. What do the letters PR stand for? Teaching about prayer. Is there some teaching about prayer that I can learn and pray? It's good for us to actually pray scripture. What does the letter I stand for? It stands for illustration. Is there an illustration I can learn from? So in our study today I want to introduce two more symbols that you'll probably forget as well but if you're writing them down you may remember. The first of these two new symbols is the letter E which stands for example. The question is, is there an example I can learn from and practice in my life? The second is B. B stands for beware. Is there some action or attitude that is bad, dangerous or sinful that I need to avoid? So these are the questions, just some of the questions, there are others as well, that we can ask as we read through the scripture. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who said, seek and you shall find. So as we seek, as we look into the passage of scripture and ask questions, we'll find those answers as we do that. So having dealt with commands 1 to 5, we're up to command number 6 found in James 1 verse 9. It says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The words ought to take pride are in the Greek imperative tense. That means it's a strong command. The word means uh, to, to take pride means to exalt, to glory, to boast, to brag about or if you like to rejoice in. James mentioned in chapter 1 verse 2, you might recall, that he said there we should rejoice in our trials. 
Here he is saying that we should rejoice in our humble circumstances. Even if we are poor, he says, we can still rejoice in our special standing in God's kingdom. So you can place that little symbol E, uh, for example, to follow right alongside a C for command in the margin of a Bible next to this verse. The word humble means to make low, to be lowly, to live in humble circumstances, to be meek and respectful. These believers may be in humble circumstances due to being born into a poor family or they may be humble due to persecution, which is very likely at this time the letter was written in the New Testament. It could be economic hardship or even political events that all contributed to them being in humble circumstances. So regardless of the cause, they are commanded by James and therefore by God to rejoice. James uses the word humble again in chapter 1 verse 21. He says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We cannot be saved unless we humbly accept and submit to God's holy word. James also describes humility in chapter 3 verse 17 when talking about wisdom that comes from God. James there uses the words considerate and submissive Uh, Both good words to describe what humility is and how it works. James refers to humility again in chapter 4 verse 6 where he says, But he that is God gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again in chapter 4 verse 10 he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's a promise. You can put a P next to that and apply that to your life. So this is uh, almost exactly the same verse that we're focusing on today. That humility is is the way of salvation and the cause of our exaltation by God is one of the major themes of all of scripture, not just James. James here is simply echoing the teaching of Jesus that says the poor and the humble are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Matthew 5 verses 3 to 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Secondly, Matthew 23, 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And thirdly, in Mark 10, 42 to 45, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Peter also talks about humility and exaltation using very similar words to those used by Jesus and James, 1 Peter 5 verses 8 and 9. What do the letters PR stand for? Well, they stand for, of course, prayer. And prayer comes up in James quite regularly. He says in Peter, the quote I just gave, the verse in Peter is, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up. The Apostle Paul also sums this up for us in Philippians 2, 3 to 8 part of the call to worship that I read to you earlier. There it says, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when you're in humble circumstances and choose to rejoice with the Lord, then you are following the example of Jesus. You're following the teaching of Jesus. You're applying this verse 8 that we're reading in James. Notice the action of Jesus that echoes the promise in James. God exalts those who humble themselves. We need to daily bow our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we are followers of the Lord Jesus, surely we also must be willing to humbly submit to God. We join our hearts every day of our lives, just as Jesus did. As we read through the Gospels, we see over and over again Jesus humbly submitting to God's plan for his life. You and I need to do the same. Notice that the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. James followed the example of Jesus. He humbly submitted to Jesus as his Lord, as we read in James chapter 1, verse 1, also in chapter 2, verse 1, where he calls himself a bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In obeying these commands of James to rejoice, even when humble circumstances are upon us, we are simply following the teaching and the attitude of the Lord Jesus. It is good for us, it is good for our character development to do this. James is saying that from God's point of view, to be humble in your circumstances means that you have a high position in the kingdom of God. That's something surely we can rejoice in. Even though we might not feel it or even see it yet, it is still a fact, it's still truth. Our world and our culture tell us to do the opposite to what God's word says. The world rejoices in wealth, fame, honour, power and success. But Jesus turns this standard completely upside down, around the other way. Are you obeying this command that James gives to us and Jesus and the other apostles also affirm? The Apostle Paul personally practised this exalting and humble circumstances. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 11.30. He says there, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I've uh, made about uh, 50 flights uh, over the years, most of them to Myanmar, and I always fly economy class, which is otherwise known as cattle class. And if you've been in economy seats, you know that there's not a lot of leg room, and even when you want to fold the table down to read, it's you sort of it's very hard to get the the angle so you can see anything. On well, one of these trips, uh, I got upgraded to business class, so. We had, there was a bunch of us, we had uh, fully reclining seats, free drinks, six course meal, a pair of socks to keep our feet warm, provided at no extra cost. We felt like kings and queens. We were in humble circumstances, flying economy, but we were exalted, or we could say we were upgraded. We, made, we may have to, to wait till we get to heaven for the next upgrade to come our way, but that's what James is talking about. 
we might be in humble circumstances now, but one day we're going to be upgraded when the kingdom of God becomes a reality on earth. Are you in humble circumstances? Are you rejoicing in your exalted position in God's kingdom? Are you obeying this command that we find in scripture? Do you take pride in your humble circumstances? This is an example that you need to follow. Do you rebel against your circumstances that God has put you in? Do you need to put the symbol R for repent next to this verse in James? If you have not been rejoicing in your circumstances, add the symbol S2C. Remember what it stands for? Sin to confess. Ask God for forgiveness and stop sinning by your wrong attitude and your disobedience. Command number seven, or a second command in today's message, is found in James 1 verse 10. James commands us, he says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. The words should take pride here, uh, the same words that are used in the previous verse 10, but here they're not actually in the imperative tense, it's in the indicative tense. So if you like, it's an instruction that's not quite as strong as what we saw in verse, uh, verse 8. The words mean the same as they did in verse 9, to exalt, glory, boast, brag about or rejoice in. So those who are rich or in high positions back then and just now need to deprive themselves of self-worth. Their self-worth shouldn't be based in their position in society. They should be, James says, rejoicing that they have a low position in the kingdom of God. You could say they're going to be downgraded. Rejoicing, just like pride, can be good or can be bad depending on what you're rejoicing about or what you're proud of or whether your attitude is good or bad. So sometimes we rejoice in the wrong things. We need to take pride in good and holy things. I think James uh, may be rebuking the people for taking their, their pride in their high position in society because they're basing their worth on earthly instead of eternal values. We must guard against doing the same thing. In our text above, we have been instructed by James to rejoice in our low position in God's economy. I think we can write B next to this verse. B stands for, is there something to beware of? We need to beware of this wrong attitude to wealth and riches. Does this command apply to you? You might say, I'm not rich. (laughs) Well, compared to some people, even you may be considered to be rich. If you are rich, then God says to you, you are to assume a low position in his kingdom. You must be humble. So either way, the command applies to you. The bottom line is, whether you are rich or poor, you should be rejoicing in God's plan for your life. The next command is James... That's the wrong page there. Go over this one. As we stated above... um, earlier on in the message that this kind of thinking is really upside down thinking. It's back to front compared to our culture. We sometimes call this something which is countercultural. It goes against the natural flow of society and uh, our, our sort of understanding of life and its positions. Rich people are not to be considered as the most powerful, most influential or important people in the church. James also talks about rich people in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, where he speaks of a rich man having many gold rings on his fingers. In the Greek, the Greek word for that is actually multiple rings. Of course, they didn't have reliable banks like we have to put their money in. 
So what they did was put all their jewellery either on their fingers or often on both hands and sewed some gems in, even into their clothing. So they didn't have an ATM but they carried their money with them. They didn't have a plastic card. Their wealth was on display for everyone to see. So James is getting this teaching about our attitude to wealth from, again, Jesus. Matthew 19, 23-26, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There are a number of rich people mentioned in the New Testament, people who are rich Christians, proving that indeed it is possible for this to happen. These rich people should not automatically be placed in positions of leadership in the church, but must humble themselves as God's servants. James then illustrates Remember what illustrate is? I for illustration. Is there an illustration I can learn? So he illustrates this by quoting from the Old Testament. One of the best sources for illustrations is the Old Testament. Isaiah 40 verses 6 to 8. All men are like grass and all their glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God stands forever. This is a particularly good illustration, especially for me because I've been mowing lawns for 23 years. So I know all about grass and it doesn't last. It won't be long now and the grass and your lawn will start to slow down because of the cold weather. In the heat of summer, it also dies off. Life is very temporal, very temporary and that's what James is saying to us. Rich members, of course, as we just said, shouldn't be controlling the church. I know of one church where, uh, abiding by the constitution, the local church held a meeting and made a decision about the colour and the type of carpet that they would place in the church. A rich couple in the church had not attended the meeting, but upon hearing about the decision later, immediately overruled the rest of the church members by saying, we will not allow this because we do not like that particular colour. This particular family also were quite wealthy and uh, regularly vetoed decisions made by the church and overruled the deacons and the pastor on several occasions. They were, of course, the biggest givers in the church and they always made a point of giving their offering in the form of a cheque. So whoever was counting the offering knew who were the big givers in the church. This kind of thing is not uncommon in churches, but indeed it should not be so. If we follow the teaching of Jesus and James and the rest of the New Testament writers, then we don't automatically elevate people because of their riches or because of their position in society. Let me ask you again, are you rich? Do you need to rejoice in how low a position you have in God's kingdom? Do you need to um, pray for your unsaved friends who are rich? Pray that God's mercy will be shown to them. Remember the words of Jesus, with people this is impossible with God all things are possible. So our third command this morning, command number 8 in the book of James, found in 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. The words no one should say are in the imperative tense in the Greek. So we should put a C for command next to this verse in James. 
We are all in almost constant danger of saying the wrong thing or not controlling our tongue, not controlling our speech. Because of this we need to write this symbol B for beware next to this verse where we've already put, I hope, a C for command. The words we use are important, they're very important just as the words we don't use are important. When we say the words we use, they are, can have a major influence on other people and a major effect as well. James has a lot to say about the tongue or our speech and he mentions this subject of what we say and our speech 29 times in just five chapters. James deals specifically with the tongue in chapter 3 and I think James got his teaching again from Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus who said this, um, this every idle word we will be judged for. The word tempted here that James uses can mean test or temptation. It's an either way uh, use of the Greek word. The word that we should say probably uh, is that we should never say rather is that we should never say God is tempting us to sin. Why? Because God never tempts us to sin. He only ever tests us. So the different uses of the word are test or temptation. When God tests us, it's not temptation. He only tests us for our good. This testing and tempting may be internal or may be external, could be mental, physical or even spiritual or all three. James is saying that we must never attribute temptation to sin as coming from God. God does not do that. This word tempted has, uh, has this idea of being tested or being proved uh, of something. It's like uh, they do with uh, when you melt gold to put it into bars, when you purify metal by applying a lot of temperature to it. So only tests that are designed for our development, for our growth in faith and character and maturity come from God. God does indeed test, of us, test us but only for our good but he will never, ever tempt us to sin nor allow us to be uh, faced with a temptation that we cannot cope with, that, we, that it will crush us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, verses that you ought to memorise if you haven't already. This is what it says. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your, what you can bear. But when, the, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is a wonderful verse. But notice, if we fail to respond the right way to our trials and our tests, they can quickly become temptations to sin and may then overwhelm us as we respond with the wrong attitude. The key is exactly that. How do you respond to the trials that you're going through? If we respond the wrong way, instead of making us stronger, they can make us weaker and more sinful. When someone does us harm or things go wrong, we're in great danger of allowing that to cause us to respond with sinful attitudes and actions. George Stulak, a commentator, says this. The Bible says that the trial itself is not the most seriously life-threatening factor. The greatest danger to me is not the wrong being done to me, but the wrong that may be done by me. The real threat 
is that when wrong is done to me, I may be tempted to fall into sin myself. So our reactions are very important. Satan also tests us by tempting us, but uh, always for our harm. Do you blame God when you are tempted, when you sin? James says that your desires are the problem in the passage we're looking at. Not God, but you. If we don't blame God, we then tend to blame other people. We blame our upbringing, our culture, the government, the weather or some other special circumstances. Even our law courts these days, we find they are blaming everything else except the one who commits the crime. Even victims of crime sometimes get the blame. James is saying that we need to stop the blame game and blame shifting that goes on and accept responsibility for our own sins. James 4 verse 7 he says, we need to submit to God and resist the devil, therefore not blame others. You and your sinfulness are the problem, so make sure you accept the blame and confess and repent. So next to this verse we can use the symbol S2C, sin to confess, if we've been guilty or reacting the wrong way to our trials, and also the R for repent, we need to stop reacting the wrong way to the trials that come to us. One of the common expressions that uh, children sometimes use is the devil made me do it. The first occurrence of that uh, excuse is Genesis chapter 3 verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see what she's doing? She's basically saying the devil made me do it. This uh, expression was also made popular in the 1970s by a guy called Flip Wilson who often spoke about the devil made me do it. Then later on, some of you may know an entertainer called Paris who released a song by the same name uh, and other songs have been released uh, subsequent to that. So it's something that we think about. Blaming the devil for our sin is simply a cop-out, a way of excusing our sin and avoiding, and avoiding responsibility for our actions and attitudes. James would not accept this cop-out, neither should we. It is interesting that James warns us three times not to be deceived. Chapter 1, verse 16, verse 22 and 26. James makes it clear that God is not the source of our temptation to sin. No, rather the source of our temptation is our own evil desire. The Greek word that James uses for desire here can be used negatively or positively. It's another one of those two-way words. Where it is used in the New Testament, it has a negative meaning. It's usually evil, talking about fleshly, selfish, illicit desire. The term that James uses is actually a hunting term. James uh, uses the very vivid word that describes being, in verse 14, dragged away and enticed. So the concept of being dragged away is like uh, someone's captured you and they're dragging you off. Uh, the other word is enticed which is actually the word we would use for a fishing lure, one of those spinners that you put in on your line and, and the fish comes up and grabs the tail and the hooks grab them. So James is here using a very vivid, two very vivid illustrations of how temptation works. It can be very luring, very tempting, very deceiving. That's why he says don't be deceived. It's interesting, James uses 55 illustrations in his very short book. Are you obeying this command? Have you ever blamed God for your sin? Are you actively rejecting any evil desires that come into your mind? 
Are you aware that Satan wants to entice you with some sin and hold you captive? Do you need to confess any sin in regards to this? How do you respond when things go wrong? Are you guarding yourself against being deceived? Don't just write the symbols or ask the questions, but react and respond with the answers. Let me lead you in prayer. We confess, Heavenly Father, that we are very good at blaming other things and other people for our sins. Yes, and sometimes we even blame you. Please forgive us, enable us to be honest with ourselves and with others. We thank you for always regulating our tests and our circumstances for our growth. Please forgive us for not submitting to your purposes, for rebelling instead of humbling ourselves. Please forgive us for deriving our own self-worth from our position in society, from our wealth and from our reputation. Enable us, we pray, that whenever we find ourselves in humble circumstances, in poverty or even under persecution or in sickness, not to complain but rather to rejoice in your goodness and grace, knowing that one day we will be upgraded to your kingdom. Please help us to rejoice in our right standing with you because of our Lord Jesus. We look forward to being upgraded to heaven one day. We thank you that Jesus has made all that possible. We pray in his name. Amen.